As a church, we begin uh, a series. You guys want to clap for that? That's cool. We can do that. We can do that. We begin a series called Threadlines. It's a study in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to the book of Hebrews. If you're not sure where Hebrews is, that's no problem at all. In the front of your Bibles is likely a table of contents, and Hebrews is near the end of the Bible. And if you'd like a, a print Bible, there are some available on the tables in the back there. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, Feel free to take that home as our gift to you. If you're using a digital uh, device, we're using the English Standard Version this morning. We'll also have it up on the screen. We, as a people, uh, are going to be uh, looking at what it is that God has said to us. This is important, because we ask the question, does God actually speak? I was with... Uh, years ago, I was with a friend of mine. You know those scenarios in which you've got like a couple friends, but then it's like a dinner party and all the other people are like strangers and acquaintances. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm sitting in one of these scenarios. I'm having dinner. I know a couple of people there, but then the rest of the people that are there are just my friend's friends, and we're making small talk. And it comes to the point in the dinner uh, that I dread in my particular profession when we uh, inevitably, the question gets asked, what do you do for a living? So I said, I'm in communications, and I'm trying to move on. I said, what kind of, you know. I said, I'm a minister. And uh, this, uh, one of the friends and I, we begin this conversation. And one of the things that she says, she says, I just wish that God would speak to me. You know, if God would only speak to me, then I'd have something to sink my teeth into. If God could just speak to me, if God would just say something to me, then I would know, then I could, then I could hang my hat on that, then I could, I could rest on that if God would just speak to me. My question for you this morning is, has God spoken to you? Now, we uh, say uh, interesting things. We, we use the language of word uh, in Christian uh, subcultures. In fact, um, we, we say things like, I, I'll see ministers do this. They'll hold up a, a print copy of the Bible and they'll say, this is the word of God. Or people will say, I gotta get back into the word. Or if I could just study more of the word. And one of the thread lines that runs throughout the Bible is that concept of the word or speaking. And we find here in Hebrews 1, the word come uh, to its fruition. You see, the scriptures, as the video said, the scriptures are not a bunch of uh, independent individual stories for moral behavior. The scriptures are an interwoven tapestry where each thread line, if you pull it, you see Jesus on the other end. Each thread ultimately finds its completion and fruition in Jesus. To put it another way, it's all about Jesus. Now, in Hebrews, it's going to help us understand how these thread lines work together. And one of the themes that we're going to see, one of the threads that we're going to pull on is the thread of the Word of God. But before we do that, I'm going to read the text. This is Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. You guys ready? Okay, we're going to do that one more time because this is an awesome text. Are y'all ready? Yeah. There we go. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God, what's the word? Spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, a much superior, uh, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Has God spoken to you? Have you heard God speak? Here we have, in Hebrews 1, three things. I'd like to draw your attention to these three things. Number one, you see that Jesus is the revealed word, that Jesus is the final word, and that Jesus is the true word. The revealed word, the final word, and the true word. Here's an interesting question to ponder. If you have a God that creates the cosmos out of nothing, how does that God communicate to its creation? So if God exists, spoiler alert, God does exist. If God exists, how would that God begin the process of communicating to its creation? Certainly there's multiple means of communication, right? Like we communicate in a variety of different ways, don't we? Uh, We use uh, spoken word, where you can audibly hear. Uh, We use text, we use digital devices. Uh, We even do things like we use music, we use art to communicate. We also, uh, perhaps you've uh, heard the, the word um, nonverbal communication. Y'all ever heard that word before? Nonverbal communication. Here's, here's an example of nonverbal uh, communication. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. I love you so much. Now, what did I communicate? Now, my words said what? I love you so much. But what did my nonverbal communication communicate? I'm angry the Olympics are still going on and in my house. (laughs) Why are we watching? It's boring. Why are we doing that? I don't know. Where's my wife? It's boring. I'm communicating with my nonverbals. You see, there's multiple means of communication, isn't there? So how does a God, how does a God who creates communicate? Well, uh, it's an interesting question because especially if you look down the corridors of history, one of the things that you notice is uh, the majority of uh, cultures and societies have tried to make God manifest, or the gods manifest, to communicate to us. Uh, It might be things like uh, carvings or little figurines. Uh, It could be uh, temples built, where there's statues in the center of the temple. And we know that throughout the corridors of time that many people would go before these statues within a temple and they would bow down and worship the god or goddess and they would do things like they they would make sacrifices for things like rain, God or goddess, please give us rain, or for more children, for fertility. Other times, they would simply be trying to appease the gods because they fear that the gods were angry. And there may even be occasion where someone feels like they have wronged the gods, or they have, uh, to borrow a Christian phrase, they have sinned against the gods. And so they go before the god or goddess in the temple, before this figure made of stone, and they lay a sacrifice before its feet, or they lay themselves down before the feet of this stone uh, statue, and they strive to become pure or purified. And this is all corollary to many of the ancient views of the story arc of the universe. Do you know the story of the universe? I'll tell you the story. You saw this comment. I'm going to tell you the story of the universe in four parts. The scripture says that the story arc of the universe is this. Creation, fall, 
Redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that whole thing in Genesis, like in the, that's what it is. Yeah, that's right. In the beginning, God created creation. Genesis chapter three, we see that God's crowning glory of creation, namely people made in the image and likeness of God, rebel against God, turn from God, turn to their own ways, basically say, I'm going to be God now instead of you. And that's rebellion, that's cosmic rebellion. And so because of that rebellion, you have what's called not creation, but the fall. And 2,000 years ago in space-time history, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died on a Roman cross. We call that Good Friday. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, and now stands victorious over his enemies of Satan, sin, and death, and calls all of his people to call in the name of the Lord and to be saved. Redemption. And before Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he told his followers, one day I'm coming back and I will restore all that which is broken. Creation, what? Fall, redemption, restoration. That's the story arc of uh, the universe. It's the story that Jesus tells us. You and I are a part of that story, but there are competing stories that many of us believe that we're a part of. For many of the ancients, they believed that the world was nothing more than chaos, and they were just being strung along, that the world is nothing more than random chance. Uh, Many of them articulated it in this way, that, that you and I exist because some gods were warring together, and one god cut the other god in half, and out of the bowels of that now in half God came humanity. So let's stand and sing. <laughs> right, so that's the story arc for some of our uh, ancients, some of the ancients. And we look back on that and we say, okay, that seems to be a little bit silly. But there are many of us, even now, who believe that you and I are nothing more than the product of random chance, that two molecules smash together, and here we are. And, and so you and I are nothing more than sacks of chemicals, so love your neighbor as yourself. And we live in this tension of, wait, what story are we living out? In fact, I would encourage you, uh, there are many of us here today who are not Christians. I'm so glad you're here because you get to hear us talk about the fundamental beliefs of Christianity and what we believe to be true about Jesus. But one of the worldviews, the competing stories that are out there is that you and I are simply, we're nothing more than a sack of chemicals. And my question to you is today, if you believe that you and I are nothing more than sacks of chemicals, why are, me, why are we morally outraged when we treat each other like sacks of chemicals? To put it another way, if you and I are nothing more than sacks of chemicals, why can't I just kill you and take your stuff? Why are you mad when we watch, why are we mad when we watch the strong eat the weak? The strong eating the weak is the most natural thing in the cosmos. They call it survival of the... And if it's the most natural thing in the universe for the strong to eat the weak, why can't I do that without you being morally outraged? See, we live in, uh, we live in competing stories. We live in the tension of competing stories. But the biblical story, the story of the cosmos, one of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, gives us the most satisfying of answers. You see in the text, long ago, verse one, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. What was that word again? 
spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days he has spoken to us by his son. Long ago and many times in many ways, we see God speaking to us through creation, do we not? How many of you have ever witnessed beauty in creation? That is God speaking to us. God speaks, so there's a, um, actually a bunch of different uh, authors have coined or utilized this phrase that all of creation is God's revelation. That creation is revelation. God, through the created order, is revealing something about himself to us. Creation is revelation. But to simply speak, to simply use creation as the word that God wants to use, it's prone to ambiguity. For I cannot look at a tree and feel or understand God's love for me. And so God has also spoken through the prophets. But of course, the prophets have limitations. A prophet can simply say, thus saith the Lord, right? It's indirect communication. But now, verse two, but now in these last days, he, namely God, has spoken to us. How does he speak to us? By the Son. Has God spoken to you? See, it's interesting, this language of word. In Genesis 1, you have God. What, what is the activity that God does to bring things into existence? Said, God said, let there be light. What is the activity he's doing? Speaking. speaking. God speaks the universe into existence. God said, let there be light, and what? There was light. Now, in John chapter 1, it's interesting, the Gospel of John says this, that the Word was with God in the beginning. You begin to have the Word being thought of or, or, or considered as a person, and then it says this, that the Word of God became flesh. The Word of God, the Word, speaking, right? God spoke the universe into existence. The Word that God wants to speak, He now makes flesh. Why does God speak in that way? You know, it's interesting. Um, if you've ever been inside of a, a training session in your industry, or maybe you're, you're in high school or junior high, or maybe you're in college, and you've, you've been in a classroom, and the professor or the teacher or the trainer, they're telling you certain truths, or their perspective on those truths, they're telling you certain truths, right? They're communicating using what? Their words. And then they might have some words up on the screen. But if you're trying to learn um, how to do something, Right? You're trying to learn how to uh, take on a new hobby or take on a new skill or hone in that skill. You can read about it. You can hear about it. But what's one of the best ways to learn about it? To have someone say, I've told you about it verbally or in text. Now I'm going to show you. You see, remember, there's nonverbal communication too, right? Remember the whole thing? There's means of communication that are nonverbal as well, simply by showing somebody something. We can communicate a deeper truth. And so the word of God becomes what? Flesh and dwells among us. All of our theology finds its ultimate center point in Jesus. 
all of our thinking, all of our study, all of our engaging in the scriptures, it's all ultimately about Jesus. Jesus is the center point of what God is communicating. And here we go, verse two and three, we get some more details on this word that God has spoken. Verse two, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the heir of all. All that the father has is the son's. You have it, uh, and this is mind-blowing to me. Check this out, verse two. Through whom also he created the world. Did you catch that? Through Jesus, the triune God brought the universe into existence. So I want you to look back at Genesis one and two, and you see God doing what? Speaking the universe into existence. And one way to say it is like this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the active agent in creation. When we sing to Jesus, we should not be thinking about a created being. Rather, we should be singing to our God, that he was there in the beginning. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're familiar with the the, the book of Genesis, go back and reread Genesis 1 in light of John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, of which we're studying today. Uh, number two, uh, he, uh, okay, so why don't you wear seatbelts when you go to bed? Why, why don't you wear seatbelts when you go to bed? Like, you, like y'all are, y- your faith is, is crazy. It's like super, your faith in gravity and the order of the universe is sky high if you're not wearing a seatbelt when you go to bed. Like, if the world is simply nothing more than the product of random chance and chaos truly does reign, why do you assume that gravity will work the same tomorrow as it does today? That's a faith move. Your lack of a seatbelt on your bed is an act of faith. Who's to say, who's to say that gravity will cease to work the same way it does right now and you will simply float away into the vacuum of the abyss? Sweet dreams. Who's to say? How is it that everything is held together? Why is it that when you go to sleep tonight, you don't wake up tomorrow fearing that your nose is going to become a rubber bouncy ball? Why are you not afraid of that? That if the world is simply chaos, why are you resting in this? Well, it may be because you intuitively know that Jesus Christ holds the universe together with what? This is interesting. The reason we don't wear seatbelts to bed, the reason there's order instead of chaos is because Jesus holds the universe together, what does the text say? By the word of his power. He's not only the active agent in creation, but Jesus Christ is the sustaining agent of all creation. We can apply the scientific method to learn more and more and more because Jesus upholds the universe together by the word of his power. So why do we treat him like a personal assistant? I'm stealing this from Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York. Credit where credit is due. Why, if, if it's true that Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power, why do we treat him like a personal assistant? Why do we treat him simply like a good teacher? Why do we treat him like someone who just makes suggestions for spiritual living in our lives? Like some sort of guru? 
You see, the prophets of old, they could say things like, I'm going to point you to the way. I'm going to tell you what God said. I'm going to point you to God. But Jesus showed up and said, I am the way. What I say is what God says. I am God in the flesh. Has God ever spoken to you? He now speaks to us through the Son. He is the radiance. Look at verse three, the radiance of the glory of God. Real quick, some of you are familiar with the story of the Exodus. In the Exodus, the people of Israel were led by a magnificent pillar of fire and cloud. And that radiance is what we're speaking of here, that the glory of God radiates through Jesus, the Son. And look at verse, uh, verse three, the exact imprint of his nature. Do you want to see God? Look at Jesus. Um, y'all ever played with Silly Putty? Anybody? Throw me a bone here. You guys play with Silly Putty? Here we go. Okay. So if you take Silly Putty and you take like a medallion or something or you take like a coin, right, and you, and you skillfully, right, you smooth, and smoothen out Silly Putty, isn't that, isn't that that's important to do in life? That's an important skill. And you push it into that coin and you pull the silly putty off, and you put the coin down, and you look down, and don't stretch it yet. Don't stretch that silly putty yet. I know you want to. Don't roll it up into a bouncy ball yet, but you look at that imprint. What do you see? You, do you see the coin? You see the exact imprint of that coin. Uh, the ancient word translated is where we get the word character from. Do you want to see the character of God? You see it in Jesus. The exact imprint of God's nature. This means that when we are tempted to say, I prefer to think of God as, we better pause. You see, there's, there's many of us here today who, who we hear this and we think, okay, yeah, they, but, but listen, the God of the Bible does crazy things. The God of the Bible is super confu confusing, Amen. Right? Like, there's stuff I read in the Bible. I'm like, I don't know why that's going on right now. What do we do? What is this? God could never say that. You know, I don't believe in the God of the Bible. Some of us might say, I prefer to think of God as. And, and maybe you're there. Maybe, maybe that's, that's where you're at. I just want to, I, I want to lean on that a little bit. And with all due respect, I certainly don't mean to be insulting. But do you realize that that's one of the most prideful, arrogant things a human could say? Uh, how would you, let me put it another way. How would you like it if people did that to you? You know, uh, uh, one of my close friends uh, likes country music and golf, which is miserable. All of it's miserable. It's all miserable. And so if he sat across the table from me and is, you know, in our friendship, and he said, you know, Caleb, I really love golf, and, and I like, you know, some country music, and, and, and if I responded, you know what, cool, I prefer to think of you as an avid Dallas Cowboys fan who does not like golf and instead likes real sports like football and uh, really wants to buy me a 1991 Ford Bronco with the top off, which would be important as a friend. If I said that, how much respect am I showing that friend? Why? Because he's revealed himself to me and if I take that in and said, no, you don't define you, I define you. You see, when we say to God, I prefer to think of you as, 
it's, if, if people did that to us, we would be dramatically insulted and humiliated. Here's another thing. I want to encourage you in this. Uh, you know those frustrating things that God says sometimes in the scriptures that are frustrating? Let that give you hope that you have not made God in your own image. Because if you and I are singing to and worshiping a God that never contradicts our sensibilities, we may be worshiping a God we made up. To put it another way, if God and I are always in agreement, the person or the, the figure or the whatever I'm praying to is not God, it's me. You with me on that one? So if we do worship and trust in and pray to and rest in an eternally powerful, transcendent, almighty, transcends all cultures person, then of course our wills and our sensibilities will be conflicted at some point. Any real relationship with another person will have a conflict of the wills. We just don't want to admit it, that we might be wrong and need to change if God conflicts with our will. And so here you have the author of Hebrews in uh, chapter 13, verse 8, saying, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The final, true, ultimate, revealing word that God speaks to us is Jesus Christ. Has God spoken to you? Yes. And what does God say to you? You see it. Right? You say to God, you say you love me, show me you love me. Remember the story, creation, fall, what? Redemption. There's a song that goes like this, be thou my vision. One of the lines is, be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. How is it that we can be with God, especially since the scripture says that only the pure in heart can see God and live? You know what's interesting about temples and statues? Uh, the temple that God commanded his people to build, you know what was absent from that temple? If you were a Gentile and you walked up to uh, the, uh, the temple that God commanded to be built in Jerusalem, one of the things that you would immediately notice is there is something missing from that temple. What was missing from the temple that God commanded his people to build in Jerusalem? A statue. There was no figure. Because what God is communicating to us cannot be communicated with cut stone. What God is communicating to us can only be communicated through a crucified son. There is an absence of a figure in the midst of the temple because what God wants to communicate to us is crucified on a hill outside the city. You wanna know what God says to you. You look at Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, and buried. Has God ever spoken to you? He has. And the ultimate word that he says is his son, crucified, dead, buried, and risen. And so my next question is this, are you listening? Are you listening? When you hear the words spoken, in just a moment when we take communion, are you listening to what God is speaking to you?